Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather, political discussion that from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I am Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk about this week's news politics. Yeah. Um, this Warm week, week. Yeah. Sticky. I don't sleep anymore. My new flat has a big patio door so I can let the air in. <laughs> Feeling pretty good about that. I don't. <laughs> I have. I live in an old Victorian terrace that's designed to keep the heat in. <laughs> so it's horrible. It's disgusting and I hate it. And I'm gonna be happy when the summer's done. Um although it's nice being outside. So You're built for you're built for the little ice age. I am. I'm ready for that. But um yeah, so this week so Panorama documentary. Yeah. You didn't yeah, watch it. I did not watch it, no. I did. Um because you can't watch anything that's about anything about politics. You just can't bear it. I it, I feel really bad. I actually watched I started watching that uh, Philosophy Tube YouTube channel yeah. last night and they literally he literally has an episode on it says, um, do you have like a a duty to be informed yeah and going on about the philosophy and it's like i do feel kind of informed but also not in the same way that i think most people usually get informed <laughs> because i just there's nothing i'm not like making any special claim for myself but i feel like there's nothing i can learn oh no not really there's like you know other than this is what people will be talking about the following yeah. day yeah there's like there's some, nothing there's I some can... nice things you get from if for like the i watch and listen to a lot of stuff and the main difference is I think I've got a better hang on yeah why some people act the way they do yeah, because when you definitely. hear them talking all the time and when you hear them when they fucked up it, I think it, I think it, I think it comes from like my thing of I always really liked trolling myself when mm. the internet and internet politics first became a thing mm. I liked trolling myself by going on and finding the worst possible opinions mm. and now they're just kind of like shoved in my face and they're all the same as they were mm-hmm. in like 2005 yeah, or whatever all the same lines of logic and there's only so many times that you can scan them for slightly different permutations yeah so I don't subject myself to that and have tried to... I said to myself that, don't worry, you'll be reading more. I don't read fucking anything. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I basically know nothing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this Panorama Doc, how was it? It it was nothing, really. Um, it was... Okay. I'll do, like, the whole timeline. Hmm. Even though pretty much everyone listening to this will know what basically what was happening. So in the build-up to this Panorama documentary, there was a lot being made online by the same kind of people about how this was going to be the it, the magic bullet that destroys the Labour Party. Yeah. The final incontrovertible proof that Jeremy Corbyn is an anti-Semite, the Labour Party is institutionally anti-Semitic, all this stuff. Um, that it, the anti-Semitism didn't exist before Jeremy Corbyn, mm. only existed after. Um, then it came out. And it's not really. Um, it's the same kind of rehashed arguments that they've done over and over again. They mentioned um, Thingy, um, Ken Livingston, um, yeah. at the beginning, who is like walking about living proof that anti-Semitism has been like about in the Labour Party for a long time. Yeah. Um, and they had no problem with it before making him their candidate for mayor. Yeah. Um, and then. The thing is that, yeah, so they do the same rehashed arguments. Um, There's a lot of, like, very personal stories about feeling bullied, having a hard time, um, affects the mental health, which, um, you know, that's horrible. Being in a horrible Mm. work environment is horrible. Um, One of them I did recognise from that um, footage on Al Jazeera of Thingy from Labour Friends for Israel. Uh, Joan Ryan. Yeah, um when they were meeting with someone they thought was a Mossad agent. <laughs> oh yeah, was that the famous where they were offered like a uh, £100,000 or a million, million pounds to... Uh, make up stories. Yeah. 
Yeah. And he was there. So, you know, he's a f- fair and balanced person. But, you know, there were people like um, Thingy McNichol. Ian McNichol. Yeah. Former... The one who the one who was replaced by Jenny Formby. Yeah, the one who um the one who made it so a load of people who tweeted about the Green Party got kicked out of the Labour Party briefly during yes, the, um, yeah during one of the coups. That early pur- that well, it was that that was the early purge, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, but you know, so they got people like that, but but they don't they don't really have anything. They don't really have anything. They, you know, they say the same things like they don't have a smoking gun that directly no. incriminates Jeremy Corbyn as an active anti-Semite. Yeah. They still have the same kind of like. Um, dog whistles that they've made up. Yeah, there's also the um, they talk about. There's a thing with Jenny Formby where she said like, "I don't want to talk about this on this email. I'm deleting this conversation, move it on to my other email because I don't think this is. I think there might be other eyes on this email." Yeah, sure. Um, which could seem like she's paranoid or anything like that, or that she'd be manipulative. But that night, the Labour press office's Twitter account was hijacked. It was the night of the documentary. Yeah, wasn't it was it? hijacked yeah. by someone who obviously still had access to it. And then so proving that there are still people doing stuff like that. That really weirded me out because like, yeah, of course there are people within the parliamentary Labour Party and the Labour Party apparatus that mm. um have those views mm. that um want Corbyn out specifically, Corbyn and McDonald. Um what did tweeting that accomplish? Especially when it was said in that proper kind of like anti-Corbyn tone, yeah. The kind of this is this is it. This is yeah. e- this is everything. It's like you've got like Tracy Ann Oldman, um, friggin' Francis, what's her face, Francis Barber. Yeah. You have all of those really very obsessive um, anti-Corbyn accounts mm. already tweeting that the whole time. Who is this? Who is this? Well, who, who, all who is this aimed at? Who, who is this going to convince? Show that there are convince. people inside the uh, inside the um, machinery that are that are using these things. Yeah. But anyway, so it finishes, and they and that tweet came out, which was pretty much like, "Oh, this is it. They're done." Um, and then everyone who was expecting there to be a smoking gun acted like it was. Like there's a veneer of respectability because it's on the BBC. Yeah. It's panorama, so you know that means it's. Definitely true. Mm. Um, I think like, it was done by John Ware, who has a history of um, making Islamophobic programs done, as well. You, I think you'll find that Islamophobia is a relatively recent term invented <laughs> to to give Brendan O'Neill more money for articles. <laughs> because yeah, um, but yeah, he's not a nice person. Um, but they're all acting like it, it's it. That's the smoking guns happened. It's one hundred percent true. And so now we're in this weird situation, and they were kind of doing this before, but it feels like it's definitely cemented in place now. Yeah. Um, you, you don't have to risk being sued um, by saying Jeremy Corbyn is an anti-Semite who does anti-Semitic stuff, because everyone already knows it's true. Yeah. So it's just a given that the Labour Party is institutionally anti-Semitic now, in these people's heads. I feel like it's it's similar to the articles of faith that um, liberals generally have been using around Brexit and mm-hmm. around Trump as well. Mm-hmm. It's the, I mean, with Trump it's slightly different because the fact is he's still there. Mm-hmm. But as far as like, it, do we get to the point where I mean, actually, I suppose we have. Do we, I was going to say, do we get to the point where centrist people, those very particular kind of obsessive people, 
are going to think that actually Corbyn isn't in charge of the Labour Party anymore, that he has been removed in a secret in a secret coup. But then, of course, the whole sh- the whole thing has shifted to blaming Seamus Milne for everything. Yeah. So they kind of already have because they know they can't dislodge it, and it's a it's a fact that Jeremy Corbyn is leader of the opposition and yeah. is going to be for a while. So they've moved to, well, obviously all the bad stuff is not just from him, yeah. it's from everyone else. Yeah, there's, um, you know, there's... Gavin Chuka had an article in The Guardian this morning that was, um, yeah, Change UK failed, but uh, yeah. Labour Party are going to fail as well, unless they get rid of Corbyn, Corbyn specifically. Yeah, there's, um, and like anyone who's been online has seen some of the stuff shared by people who scream about Corbyn that portrays John Lansman controlling him as like a puppeteer. Yeah. And John Landsman is Jewish. I think that's what that's that's what's so dangerous. You apply the stupline logic to I don't know, Corbyn's health policy, you apply it to um in any one of his the facets of his leadership, mm-hmm. whatever. You apply it to things like anti Semitism, and you end up with the the back and forth doesn't ha- just have a stupefying effect; it has a dulling effect. Mm. So you get to the point where you say, like, "Oh well, um, this Labour tweeter, Labour supporter who tweeted at me." You get people who are equating uh, like Jewish people and money, mm. and then immediately goes on to equate money with Jewish people. Yeah. Or um, the I mean, the big one obviously is Israel. Yeah. You know, you like, how dare you conflate the Jewish people as a whole with the actions of the Israeli state. Mm. But I also like the actions of the Israeli state. Yeah. And all Jewish people should support it because it's the Jewish state. Yeah. Like, that kind of, that kind of conflation is not, has been a function of, like, discussion around, like, Israel-Palestine and all that for mm. a long time. But it's got this added, because of the anti-Corbyn thing, because of the Stupline thing, it's got an added risk that, eventually they're just going to regard these things as true and they're going to reproduce these anti-Semitic tropes mm. more widely than they ever were. Mm. And um, Yeah, it's it, it's just... I, they're making it harder to deal with anti-Semitism. Mm. Um, because ultimately they don't seem to actually care about its resolution. No. Um, and then there's the other thing as well. Like, um, you know, there was that poll that had Labour not doing very well and so that got published everywhere. And at the moment, a lot of the polls are saying Labour are doing quite well. Um, even after the panorama thing, mm. which is like, it's not that surprising because if you know anything about Britain, is they don't care about racism. No, come general election time, anti-Semitism will not be a factor. For well, like if, even like the day after it came out, polls yeah. were still finding that people. Because also, there's that thing of, um, on the one hand, people in this country don't really care about racism. On the other hand, there's also this has been said for so long now that people who support Labour are not not going to believe you. No, like there are people who say that it's all made up, and they're all the you know there are proper like cranky parts of the Labour Party mm. that are never going to believe anything about anti-Semitism again. No, that's it. That's what's happened to their brains now, yeah. and this is on people like Tracy Ann Olverman <laughs> and people like that for having their... a normal one, Tracy. Yeah, yeah, it's just, uh... but yeah. So that was that documentary, which has achieved very little apart from making it. More difficult to deal with anti-Semitism. <laughs> the other kind of big-ish news this week is uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, finally being charged with sex numerous trafficking. sex trafficking crimes. Yeah, because before he got done for soliciting... Yeah, soliciting a minor for prostitution. Um, and 
the old like black book. I think they've been out. They've been released before, but he had a black book with phone numbers. Um, yeah. He arranged flights to his personal island quite a lot. It's like it's um, almost like proof with, that if there's a bit, if there is like a secret paedophile ring of all the most powerful people in society, yeah. that it probably would have got out sooner because you know he's keeping a little black book of all of his pedo friends. <laughs> um, and one that immediately uh, kind of came to my attention was uh, he had 16 phone numbers for Prince Andrew. <laughs> 16! Why does he have 16 phone numbers? 16? It's like, well, I keep one for work, one for business, and one for pleasure. And then a different kind of pleasure. And then 15. And a different kind of pleasure. <laughs> yeah. And these ones are all for, um, for prankles. <laughs> Just has a giant red phone on a plinth somewhere in one of his palaces. <laughs> Just flashes red. The Epstein phone. Um, so uh, Andrew, Prince Andrew and Epstein have been friends for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to um, court documents, Epstein allegedly forced a teenage girl to have sex with Prince Andrew on three separate occasions, including during what she described, the victim, described as an orgy with other underage girls. Um, after uh, Epstein was arrested originally in 2011, I think it was, um, he served 13 of an 18 month sentence very mm-hmm. lenient sentence because he did a deal with the current Secretary of Labour Alexander Acosta um, he returned to his uh, $50 million East 71st Street mansion and celebrated his release from a Florida jail with his close pal Britain's Prince Andrew reported the New York Post uh, shortly after his release he also helped arrange for Epstein to pay over $18,000 to Sarah Ferguson's former assistants, to whom she owed nearly $100,000 in unpaid wages and bills. This current allegation, which has been uh, resurfaced, obviously, after the arrest of Epstein, uh, was filed by... Um, it was originally filed in 2015 by Virginia Roberts Geoffrey. Geoffrey? Uh, she claimed that in 1999, when she was 15, Epstein's friend and alleged madam, Ghislaine Maxwell, approached jo- uh, Geoffrey at her summer job at Mar-a-Lago. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And offered the teen professional training in massages. Geoffrey says she was then brought to Epstein's Palm Beach home, where she was repeatedly sexually abused by him, and that over the next few years, he loaned her out to rich and influential men around the world. Is Prince Andrew that influential? Um, he had that... He was um, a trade ambassador. He still is. No, no, he resigned. Oh, did he? He resigned. But even then, I don't think anyone... Because he's close to the, like, the Kazakh... Is it Uzbekistan or Kazakhstani... I think he's close to a lot of pieces of shit. Yeah. But but I think even pieces of shit probably don't really listen to him that much. Because he doesn't... He's not the kind who, like, ends up going to China. He ends up going to, like, the ex-Soviet republics. Yeah. And dictatorships. I just find it hard to believe anyone would ever, like, be influenced by him. (laughs) (laughs) Abused, yes. Bullied, yes. But... Yeah, and yeah, we ended up started talking about the royal family again. Yeah. Uh, last week, I think, after mm. we were recording, and like it feels like Andrew's got this distance that allows him to be a working royal and still actually a royal. Like yeah. he doesn't does he appear with them with the whole family on many occasions? I mean, I know he appears at the weddings and that, but yeah, not really. You don't they don't talk about it much. Like in the same way, like with um with my favorite royal, um Edward. Yeah. Um, he doesn't really get, but he gets lost. Um, yeah, he get. He's a he's a sweet goof. Because <laughs> he was in, he was the first in this current chain of 
events to make the royal family feel like a part of the national conversation. What, Edward? Edward and Sophie was that was that was his wife's name. Yeah, um, Edward. Edward was because he got he was, he failed at the military. He, he couldn't do the military stuff. Yeah. So they were like, okay, what do you want to do? It's like I want to be in showbiz. <laughs> and so they just sort of let him. <laughs> and so they gave him a top hat and a cane. Yeah. And a pocket full of dreams. And a whole massive amount of money. A whole palace full of dreams. Yeah. Um, um, but that was the first. Like his marriage was that first big occasion because mm. they've tried to intersperse big occasions. Mm. For the last probably decade, I'd say I, I can't remember when they got married. Yeah, they like they like to do the big the big the big ceremonies when something's gone wrong, or to desperately try and make you like them. Yeah, well, they had. Let's see. I mean, they had. Uh, yeah, William and Kate got married in twenty eleven. They had the Diamond Jubilee in twenty twelve. Mm-hmm. They've had the birth of like William and Kate's kids, and then they've recently had Harry and Meghan Markle getting mm. married. Um, as research for this uh, particular episode, I decided to get really, really into anti-Meghan Markle Twitter. Hashtag Megxit. Hashtag not my duchess ever. <laughs> Hashtag charlatan duchess. Charlatan duchess. Yeah. You are a pretender duchess. You sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> it's it's actually amazing because like... Does, do, does, do like duchesses... Do dukes and duchesses have like... Jewels, like like the queen gets like a scepter. Um, I don't know because they can just make up those titles now, can't they? Well, they did. Yeah, for those two. Because they're Sussex. like they did um, something like that, and they did for William as well. They like made him the Duke of Cambridge. The Duke of Cambridge, yeah. And like obviously, there's there's typical as is typical in any fandom. There's Stanning. Mm-hmm. So there's William and Kate Sugars. Okay. And then the Megxit people. Okay. And there's like wars going on between them on Twitter. Fantastic. Mainly based around, um, weirdly racism. enough, racism. Uh, yeah, one hundred percent based around <laughs> yeah. uh, racism. They yeah. critique her clothes, say mm. she's too boxy to wear anything. That's <laughs> fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, a couple of like, but weirdly enough, so like, part of it is like saying most... that Meghan Markle isn't attractive. Yeah, because she's objectively an attractive woman. Yes. Um, so, it it mainly is based around. The, the more kind of sensible wing is based around the fact that she takes uh, all of this money, she's cost all of this money, and the British taxpayer has to pay for it, and she's mm-hmm. not a citizen, quote-unquote. She is now. They cheated. Mm-hmm. Be annoyed at that one if you're going to be annoyed at anything. Then yeah, the, but... The royals will just wave through any kind of... Um, the reason why you put speech marks over the yeah. word citizen is because yeah. we all know exactly what that yeah, means. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be... There's going to be um, like, I, I wonder if there's, like, with their kids, if there's ever going to be, yeah, but where are you really from? <laughs> there was a Change.org petition that was like, she went to Ireland, the home of the potato, and went, and in front of the potato famine statue wore a £6,000 suit paid for by the British taxpayer. And it's like, okay, that's the sensible wing. Yeah. Then it goes into the uh, fake pregnancy mm-hmm. wing. That was a big one. So um, she okay. was wearing, uh, okay. uh, like, the, uh, critiquing the size of her bump at various public events. Bump truthers. Uh, bump truthers, yeah. That's um, amazing. Hashtag moon bump, which is like a fake acting pregnancy thing, was, oh was is, is all over it. Um, and then, after she's given birth, claiming that every photo I've taken with her of her with the child, yeah. the child is a doll. A doll. A doll, yeah. If there's anything we've learned about the royal family, and especially, like, you know, stuff coming out about Prince Andrew, they have ready access to children. (laughs) (laughs) I won't make any more child abuse jokes. (laughs) But yeah, like, to pretend, like, if you're going to fake it, 
Like, yeah. if you were, if you're the royal family, the British royal family, and you're faking a royal baby, like, well, what do we do? Can we get a baby? No, you can't possibly. Well, they look against. They're looking at the bud at the budget, and it's like. We spent too much on Look. that dress when you went to Ireland. Yeah. So you're going to have to use a baby. You're going to have to use a doll baby. until we can arrange a surrogate. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, it's like, if it, you look closely, it's not a baby at all. In fact, it's just a small man. Interestingly, it, it tries to... Most of them try to veer away from, um, like, critiquing Harry. Oh, yeah, because they love him because he's a after, Nazi. Uh, yeah, well, uh, well, no, after a while... It becomes impossible to, so they're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe she's put it, it, he's putting up with her," and oh, like god. saying that she's a paid act, she was a paid actress, well, like yeah. put with him, and that he actually oh. really doesn't like her because that like keeps him kind of. But that then implicates the royal family, so then they go further and say that both of them are like implicated in this conspiracy to make them personally like Meghan Markle. And that they're both addicted to drugs that the royal family pay for. Then the royal family's fully implicated. And it just becomes like one of those traditional anti-royalist things. The, the royals are pulling the wool over your eyes. They're all parasites. They all have like huge fortunes and expensive clothes when you can barely feed your kids. Yeah. Or take like, like do it like, like. Yeah. Yeah. That um, the ultimate one is one account who... But this is all coming from, like, royalists, though. Um, yeah, kind of. The ones who will never turn off. Like, they like they were all asking when the christening was on because they just couldn't bear to see that woman. Yeah. So they had to know when the christening was on. The best ones, the most off-the-chain ones, are the ones who believe that Meghan herself has a load of sock puppet accounts and is replying to them under the guise of um, pro-Meghan Markle... Twitter accounts. <laughs> Everyone who's pro Meghan Markle on the internet is actually Meghan Markle in a kind of Trevor Bastard kind of <laughs> massive collection of fake accounts. That's, that's quite good. One of them said, Anne Boleyn is widely believed to be Meghan using one of her alias accounts. Your comment makes perfect sense as Meghan is American and truly wasn't around to see how badly Kate was treated. It's always poor me boo-hoo with Meghan. Cringe, gag, ugh. I have no doubt that... Um, this is true. Oh, fucking hell. I have no doubt, like responding to some kind of rumour about uh, Meghan Markle, I have no doubt this is true, yet she still is still in with the royal family because she regularly slays babies and lies to the public, all in the name of Satan. Hashtag <laughs> Mexit, whinging and wailing, blind gossip. What? Oh, the it's best thing is, so like, good. All of the, like, the start of the like rift between the, the two royal couples... Is there a rift? I don't know. There is because of um because William's having an affair. Mm. That's like um because sure. that was like that was that's been talked about in other countries and it in this country it was um I think it was first revealed by um Charles Corrin. Yeah, it was Charles yeah, Corrin. Drunk. He deleted a tweet. Didn't yeah, he? he was drunk and he said <laughs> yeah <laughs> because that like basically if you want a scoop yeah you get Charles Corrin drunk <laughs> and or, he'll just tell you everything. or you just start. Or if you at want. him on Twitter after ten on a Sunday, and eventually he'll reveal some secret to you, or reveal truths. <laughs> That's the point of Charles Corrin. He's not a restaurant critic, because <laughs> you know you read those reviews. He's not a restaurant critic. You just poke him, and he reveals truths. I just find it odd that these ostensibly pro-royalist accounts that yeah. that, that like go into detail about the royals mm. way more than most even passive royal supporters would do. 
find it so easy to revert to traditional anti-royalist hmm. stereotypes so that they're all Satanists or they're all like, yeah. baby killers. But also, and... almost like, like the royal family was great, but now it's being infiltrated by baby killers. Yeah. But also, they, they, like, it doesn't surprise me that they lean on like big overarching conspiracies about the royal family. Sure. Um, because they'd like to believe them. They'd like to believe that they're that powerful and intelligent. Yeah, it's the same as those other, like, QAnon and, and shit yeah. like that. It's exactly the same. Because it's kind of reassuring to to them to think that the people that they love and adore are that smart and powerful. You know, it's like the people who, like, are the queens throwing shade at Donald Trump by wearing a ruby that was taken from Malaya or some bullshit like that. Yeah. Um, you know, they're that kind of specific kind of delusional yeah and it it has kind of like filtered up to like the mainstream press as well they have been they were going on at Meghan Markle about her not wanting pictures taken at Wimbledon um yeah I saw that now because what happened is um there were people taking selfies and like she was going to be in once someone was taking a selfie and she would have been in the shot and her bodyguard said no could you not do that yeah um I would say, you know, my my opinion on all of this stuff and, like, Royals' access to privacy and stuff like that is they don't get fuck all because we pay for them. Yeah, 100%. If they, um, like, I was watching a Diana documentary with my daughter and um, she balked at referring to Harry and William as heir and the spare. And I was like, well, no, because that's literally what they are. If they're going to take all that money for a life of insane luxury then they're going to be treated like fucking cattle um and like yeah if she wants to sit in the fancy royal box at wimbledon then yeah people are going to take photos that's literally the point of you the whole point of all of you people is to have photos taken of you (laughs) it just makes me think of like because figuring out that also their job is to try and not have pictures taken (laughs) this is the game they play so don't oh just annoys me um it, it does it is it is noticeable when the press turn against particular members of the royal family like because they've been able to do it against like sarah ferguson but she had already like they had already divorced by Mm -hmm. that point Mm -hmm. um and they take pot shots but it's rarely sustained in the same way as it has been with with Meghan markle and i think one of with one who's in the family yeah who's who's currently in hrh like um and it does make me kind of hopeful that the monarchy in its current form, it's starting to have one of those downswings in popularity because, like, it's been consistently yeah. popular for like twenty years. It had that dip. Diana, when Diana was died. Diana was the lowest. Yeah, that it's been in a long time. Yeah, and then since then they've gradually been working their way back up. Yeah, um, and I think it reached like a peak with like William's wedding. Yeah, I think like people. But I like, think that was almost like it was they. They jumped the shark a bit. It was almost too much. Yeah, I mean they've kept it. They've kept it going and with diminishing returns because it did feel like they were trying to put on the same spectacle hmm. over and over again. That they, yeah, you're right. It hit a peak with the kind of the twin thing of the Olympics and Diamond Jubilee. It came a, came across at a point of difficulty for Englishness and it being tied in with austerity as well. Hmm. It was 2011, I think they got married. And the Diamond Jubilee was in 2012. Hmm. So it cohered with a very... It managed to get enough liberal commentators on side when liberal commentators in response to austerity and the failure of kind of Blairism to Hmm. articulate what they regarded as a progressive patriotism. Hmm. They were able to lean on the old classics Hmm. of 
the royal family as being central to an English, yeah, no, an English or a British kind of, identity. That they were definitely like the royal family is different and progressive and young because you look at William and you like looking at William and Kate and they don't seem like well, like Prince Philip. These ain't your these ain't your granddad's royals. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like I think, like, what are their like, their chances of survival after the Queen dies? As, oh, a, as, as, think... as the established monarchy is, I, I, I just, I think increasingly, like when it was just William and Kate, you could, there was a certain amount of focus and you could see a line of succession. Mm-hmm. And I think when they've tried to overplay their hand and bring too many people, I think it's one of the reasons why they were always the people who people hated. They hated Andrew, they mm-hmm. hated Edward, and they hated their families. Mm-hmm. They saw them as parasites. Mm-hmm. And then what's interesting is that when the royal clan gets too big, when it appears literally too clannish, they start to trim them off. Mm -hmm. And I think when there's too many royals on view at one time, it's much easier to pin the sins that all the royals are are guilty of, Mm. of like the the fact that they're a massive extravagance. Mm -hmm. Their constitutional power is like wrong. It shouldn't exist now. And it doesn't really exist. Oh, I mean, their constitutional power does. Yeah, but they never use it, and they never done. They never will. They never ha- really. We're we're into the point in the Brexit negotiations where they're talking about suspending Parliament. How is Boris? How does Boris rule when Parliament is suspended? He'll use the royal prerogative, which will bring the Queen or whoever's monarch at that point right back into it. I think that's that is she something we forget. I don't think she'll do anything. You, you remember when we were talking she'll just about? Sit there and not no, do anything. Do, no, she won't. It, he he doesn't. She doesn't need to do anything for mm. that royal prerogative to exist. Although yeah, symbolically, no, yeah, and what ritually, I mean is, what I mean though, there's no point. Like you might as well. That power might as well be in the possession of a lemon. No, for all no, it will do. I like do, she won't. She, her opinion will not matter. She will not. Like her opinion. We know that she. It doesn't matter person. about opinion because her power is in the thing. But her power, her ritual, symbolic power exists and is real yeah no and I, I agree She's, that, she but, um, has to go along with whatever the royal prerogative is used for which up to and including declaring war yeah but I, what i mean is like she no, she doesn't do it she just does what she's told to do every time anyway she signs whatever is yeah in front so of that's her. what but, i mean no, like what's I mean, the point but of i mean like, you we think could that... we could save a lot more money by having king lemon and just signing everything king lemon yeah sure but if you if you think about it i mean like i think that she so far has been able to get on along by kind of her personal prestige, mm-hmm. but passing that on. Oh, that's never. Is then, never I don't think it's ever going to work. It's going to be incredibly difficult. I think um, even I hers Char- is shaky now. Charles can probably get on by the fact that his mother was Elizabeth. Was I Lizzie? Think, I don't think he can. I think um, he's going to fuck up. And so he much. might. I think he'll get. I think he'll get because he's going to be on the throne. What twenty years, presumably, mm-hmm. right? Um. 10 years, 20 years, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he can probably get by on, they'll probably lean on his age, they'll mm-hmm. probably lean on respect for his mother mm-hmm. or whatever, and he might get by on that. I don't see them getting by with, with William. No. I just don't. Yeah, I don't think it's going to work because like, despite the fact that Lizzie has all of this, like I say, symbolic and ritual power, mm-hmm. um, not just as part of her office, but as kind of a weird latent symbol of Britishness. Mm-hmm. There's an argument made, uh, I think it was Tom Nairn who made it, who said that the English have never developed a proper nationalism because they have this kind of super, uh, obviously being head of the empire and everything, and having this kind of supranationalism mm-hmm. that that starts and ends with the, the, the royal family as the incarnation. Yeah. So they don't lean quite as heavily on like blood and soil stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
even though the royal family itself in its kind of imperial phase under under Victoria definitely did kind of lean into that I mean you yeah. think about the way Victoria was always put at the top of the empire which then kind of spread down to um, like the nation as a whole and then the like the white dominions mm. and the empire as a whole and it kind of incarnated that that whiteness that 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 consanguineity mm-hmm. um, that the empire depended on so much um, but they always had the kind of I, I don't think has there ever been any fash groups or nationalist groups that have said we do away with the monarchy I doubt it I can't think of it they're always keen to be seen as loyal subjects yeah you know yeah. which is a really a really weird feature of, of mm. especially seeing as like they wouldn't I don't know whether they I mean okay they have kind of the idea that they have like pan pan Europeanism they never propose like instituting the monarchy over other like white countries like Poland they never say oh you know under an ethno-nationalist state we would make Lizzie the queen of Poland I think there's probably ones who'd say like reinstate it over um, places like Africa I think there's probably a bunch who'd like say let's go back I mean, it, no, because in the Cause it, it, I suppose because in its twentieth century, there's even people now who say that. But yeah, I mean, that's more likely to be a conservative talking point. Whereas, yeah. f- like, British fascism has always had that very, very defensive mm-hmm. um, posture throughout the the kind of latter half of the twentieth century. So yeah. it's always about protecting like yeah. white dominions. Yeah. It's actually and that we did worse out of the colonies because they're all leeches. Yeah, that kind of thing. So actually, I, they're probably anti like anti imperial mm. in 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 that sense. But I think that William, obviously, William doesn't have that kind of awe because they've tried to shore it up by giving him the traditional thing of military service and all that. Mm. But he doesn't command that thing. And if anything, the current royal family, like the younger generations, they've tried to break them into capitalist capitalist relations. They've tried to, like, Republicans always try and make that economic argument that they're, like, reducing it to a cost-benefit analysis. Yeah. And they can always respond by saying they bring in a lot of money, they do a lot for tourism, all of that. Logic of capitalism being that you have to justify your personhood by a cost-benefit analysis. Yeah. Um, But the argument, the the way that they have portrayed it is not about making money. It's about almost appearing that they've been broken by capitalist relations Mm. the same as the rest of us. Yeah. It's that that push pull between having them as like symbolic objects mm-hmm. that you can look at their clothes, you can uh, evaluate their sim- like symbolic uh, worth to the country, and then you have the opposite pull of they're just like us. How many times have you heard somebody like on the news or something going to a garden party and they met the Queen, yeah. and they've said, "Oh, they're just like us." Yeah. She told a really funny joke. Mm-hmm. And then immediately, kind of, there's a, a ceremony or something. The glass wall goes up, the velvet rope goes down, and they're objects again. Yeah. So that kind of um, push pull has been much more heavily subjected to the younger generation as they've mm-hmm. had to kind of justify, justify all the fucking money we give them. Yeah. But then they, they it it goes quite badly. Like there's like the kind you know when they do their mental health stuff. And that's a that's a perfect example. But, that's, the, um, that's the pull to make them more relatable. The worst kind of people. Like I think James O'Brien is one who like really loves the young royals, um, and like we'll talk about like oh how isn't it brave them talking about their mental health stuff, and it's like it's not it's not brave at all mm. to talk about um, any of your 
trials and tribulations with your mental health situation when you literally have access to the most expensive therapist that you could possibly imagine. There is no more expensive medical treatment of or treatment of any kind mm-hmm. that is not available to those people. Yeah, and so like, and I did lots, lots of people were yeah. rubbed the wrong way by that. That it was um, them sitting in like a beer garden. Um, it was like Harry, yeah. William, and Kate Perfect. talking about yeah. it, and it was like, it's like first off, no, they don't sit in a beer garden like that, um, and it was it was quite telling like the different pe- different people's different responses to it mm. and like James O'Brien would have probably been cons- I think he probably was just like a kind of a, yeah a liberal republican probably like you know not in massively in favour of the queen not mm. massively you know like a lot of people like I wouldn't get rid of Li- get rid of Lizzie but we yeah. should probably have a think about it later on but after that he was like properly like oh these young rules are different they're just like us and all this kind of stuff and then you have lots of people who are like me and you who look at it and go that is not my situation at all. You are so yeah. alien to me. And your attempt to talk to me like this just makes me feel offended and treated like shit. Yeah. Speaking of James, I feel patronised. I was thinking of it, about it, actually. And when Charles gets... In the current Twitter, social media, media, generally environment, mm-hmm. think, just think about the fucking hot takes on the day that Charles gets coronated. Mm. Think about it. Is it coronated? The expressions of... Uh, cr- I mean, it's crowned, but... Like coronate is like coronate him like a chicken. I would coronate that man like a chicken. <laughs> Raisins, yogurt, yogurt, weird fruits <laughs> into a paste. Anyway, um, yeah, no. Imagine that the combination of like them trying to make it about progressive patriotism mm-hmm. combined with the most sacred rights of the Anglican Church, which are weird and frankly alien to most of the population anyway yeah we'll get to see it's going to be so great because like, that when the queen was crowned it was in black and white wasn't it it was yes so we'll get to see some of those mysterious jewels in in like full technicolor and high definition yeah the way that like none of us have ever seen those sparkly things before and there's going to be like there's going to be a lot of discussion online just of where those jewels came from yeah and we're going to be told to shut up yes that we're not being nice yeah, 100% these That's were all a- gifts that's a, They're all gifts. I mean, that's a really interesting point because, like, that seems to be the last ditch resort when you get past the oh, they make a lot of money mm-hmm. or oh, aren't they nice? It is basically like because they've been transformed into celebrities, basically the the, the top mm-hmm. tier of celebrity by whatever hierarchy you rank it by. What comes down, what it comes down to, especially when I've ever discussed it with people, is don't ruin our fun. Yeah, like you're you're made to feel like yeah. a like a, a killjoy. Oh yeah, it's like um, it's like with uh, if everyone's super into a new film and you're saying it's shit. Yeah, you're made to well, feel. Well, yeah, like. they 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 the royals fit into the spectacle and fit into like the ledger society as mm-hmm. a as a certain consumer good. Yeah, you know, they you 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 know you watch what they're doing, you watch how they're dressed. It's it's a full time activity as the as the Megxit people show. <laughs> and like yeah it's extended to um even people like you say like James O'Brien who you would assume is a republican but maybe has that thing of like thinks they're a republican but refuses to actually engage with it do anything well, like, um, or even express that opinion well, when well, challenged well it's like a lot of um James O'Brien's left wingness like I'm sure he's when the most left wing in public discourse was Owen Jones and Ed Miliband that um, he was able to think of himself as left wing, yes. And then Jeremy yeah. Corbyn comes along, makes him realise that actually he doesn't like any of that, yeah. And expose, and then he has, um, well, he has um, like 
a massive mental shift. Oh, back to the 80s with Comrade Corbin. Yeah. Back to the 1680s with <laughs> Charles the Third. Yeah. <laughs> um, Is he going to be Charles the Third? No, they're... no, he wants to keep the same name, doesn't he? If he wants to keep the same name, he'll be Charles the Third, unless he wants to take one of his middle names. No, Elizabeth kept her name. That was it. That was the thing. She was supposed to change her name, but she didn't change her name. Yeah, yeah. And then William the Fifth, it'll yeah. be. No, he's going to change his name. He's going to change his name. He's so going to change his name. He's going to give himself something. Is it like, is it like game sequels where they don't like to uh, get the numbers up too high? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like liberals have really, really engaged with the royals as like avatars of their particular whims and desires. Like you, you mentioned it before, the queen with the oh, queen giving side eye to mm. Donald Trump. And, yeah. And there's look, a, at, look at the principled anti-fascist. Her Royal Highness Queen Elizabeth II. I mean, ultimately... <laughs> Seen here, pictured doing a Nazi salute with her Nazi uncle. What was even weirder was when this whole thing started, um, maybe not started, but mm. was certainly in its most extreme expression, expressed as a solution to the Brexit crisis. Mm. The Queen must be told and they <laughs> must appoint a unity government. Yeah. Ultimately... Their argument, like their constitutional argument for a monarchy, is that it's a good backstop against tyranny because we have a backup tyrant yeah. who can suspend democracy and resolve it with the constant with a like no, authoritarian she's, she's concentration of powers. She's a, she's a good one because she's a backup tyrant who likes dogs. No bad tyrant has ever liked dogs. <laughs> no, definitely not in Europe. <laughs> There's never been an evil king or queen. Everyone knows this from their fairy tales. <laughs> And histories of Europe. And the British! <laughs> yeah, they even used it, because they, they even kind of went into royal mode when the Scottish uh, independence referendum was on. Yeah. That was used as a backup as well. Yeah. That was used to kind of You're argue against... You're the Queen's against... favourite holiday home. Yeah, what the hell? Mm. And especially when, like, when we were talking about, like, the, the Queen as, like, this symbolism of, of nationalism, it's never... Scot even though Scotland and Wales are part of her mm -hmm. nation her kingdom the royalty are never ever like uh are, like 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 typified as scottish or welsh like no um no they do the scottish thing a lot they do the thing of like you know the boys go to gordon's tune they do the um well the, the youngest boys now yeah. don't anymore because of how horrible it is but there's all the um the because there's where the, the favorite palace is yeah, the Balmoral. And they do, and they love to do all the hunting and stuff. They like all that kind of Scottish wilderness stuff. They re they lean into the kilts and all that bollocks. I don't think they ever lean into any Welsh stuff. I remember seeing a thing Despite with... Despite having um, the literal Prince of Wales. Yeah, I remember seeing a thing with Charles um, laughing about not being able to pronounce train, train names, um, train station <laughs> names. And like, of course, you know, it, they are hard for them. Yeah. But, um, do you know what I mean? They're, they're, I don't think there's a real... Def like there's a lot of royalists in Wales. Like my aunties, fucking love them. Really, um, but it's weird. Like there's not as much of a connection as there is with like that they have with Scotland. But it's you know, they don't have a palace that they go to and play around in. Yeah, but it does. Uh, I mean, he gets like because the Prince of Wales get, gets crowned at Carnarvon uh, Castle, doesn't yeah. he? But like what what I'm saying about like the whole like issue of how Welsh you feel or how Scottish you feel. For on their part even though they really play up Scottish tendencies, mm -hmm. I think probably because the Queen Mother was actually, or had lands in Scotland, mm. um, was from a Scottish aristocrat family. Mm. They play up those elements of their character, like Prince of Wales, like Charlie, um, plays up 
Welshness, but it's as a facet. Mm. They are 100% English. And on the, oh, yeah. on the other side, Welsh royalists, Scottish royalists use that as an expression of their Britishness as opposed to their Welshness or yeah, Scottishness. Definitely. The extreme example of that, obviously, is Northern Ireland, yeah. where it doesn't just become a cultural preference, it becomes an actual live, like life or death political yeah. point to retain loyalty to the crown. Yeah. You know? Um, but like you even look back at like the Tudors and the Stuarts, Tudors, Welsh, originally Welsh family, uh, the Stuarts, literal kings of Scotland before mm-hmm. they got appointed kings of England. Um, they're in, in historical documentaries, they're still bafflingly referred to as the like the predecessors of the current yeah, like, royal even house, not of... even though there's nothing. Like The real break comes with the Hanoverians, mm. who come from Hanover in Germany, who mm. was like 26th in line to the throne, was like like step step part half yeah. cousin something like that um but yeah even when they try and kind of even when liberals try and be reasonable about the the royal family they end up having to when they're actually challenged on would you actually get rid of it hmm. um they fold. There was a little um, quote from Ian Dunn about the about the monarchy. He tweeted, I would like to set up a little club for people who think the monarchy is a useful constitutional mechanism, but find all the pomp and ceremonial stuff dreadfully embarrassing, so that they are a universal depository of benign patriotic sentiment. Sorry, just like, it's a, a useful constitutional mechanism. Yep. He's like a hardcore, the EU are brilliant guy. He so wasn't. I know he, he never, is he now. <laughs> yeah, but you know. Um, but it's, I just find it interesting that someone who thinks that the royal family as a constitutional instrument are an incredibly useful thing and also that the EU is a perfectly brilliant democratic institution. I just think that's... that's how how fucking amazing is it that you have a Venn diagram of liberals and conservatives who will use the word diktat <laughs> more than once a week but would fucking bow and scrape to receive a royal missive? Because <laughs> yes. what he's doing there, he is creating... He's like... He's saying what the situation is. He's not creating anything new. No. Um, other than stripping the pomp and ceremony, which for some reason he finds embarrassing. But that's like the um, main bit. That, but that, that's, yeah. That's like if they took away that, we'd, we'd, have a, we'd, we'd be getting rid of them real fucking sharpish. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a weird thing that, well, I don't like all the kind of uh, like the pretty stuff. Mm. I do like the idea of having an absolutist backstop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a very, very strange thing. The um, robes, they don't make sense. Now, having someone with the divine right of kings who decides who gets to be prime minister, that's I can get behind. Overall, what like what are the possibilities of having some kind of republic in our lifetimes? Because I mean, we've talked about how it could come about from the top, but obviously there would have to be a countervailing process mm-hmm. from below. Weirdly enough, there was a uh a bill, a Commonwealth bill introduced in 1991 by Tony Benn mm-hmm. um, and was seconded by Jemery Crobin. <laughs> uh, he must have retired. Um, that proposed abolishing the British monarchy uh, and, become, and for the United Kingdom to become a democratic, federal and secular Commonwealth of Britain with a codified constitution. It was read in Parliament a number of times until Benn's retirement in 2001 but never achieved a second reading. Under the bill... The monarchy would be abolished and the constitutional status of the crown ended. The Church of England would be disestablished. The head of state would be a president elected by a joint citizens of both houses. 
the royal prerogative would be transferred directly to Parliament. The Privy Council would be abolished and replaced by a Council of State. The House of Lords would be replaced by an elected House. Uh, the House of Commons would similarly have uh, would have equal representation of men and women. Um, England, Scotland and Wales would have their own devolved national parliaments with responsibility for devolved matters. County court judges and magistrates would be elected and British jurisdiction over Northern Ireland would be ended. The judiciary would be reformed and a national legal service would be created. And I think it's interesting how the key line item on that, the abolition, abolition of the monarchy, necessarily comes with a load of extra stuff mm-hmm. that you have to do. Yeah. Not just things that would be nice in a proper democratic system. Yeah. But these things would actually be a mandatory requirement yeah. of having a republic. Um, and I think it does show how kind of republicanism, republicanism in, in Britain is so... It's so restrictive quite a lot of the time. I mean, there is an official um, like republic campaign. I think it's just called Republic. Yeah. Um, that does list certain things on its website, but I, I don't think they've they've ever been that popular. I mean, mm. the royals generally poll in like the seventy percent approval rating kind of thing. But it does show how the notion of um, the monarchy being like archaic and therefore useless is is. I don't think his name may be the best line of attack because mm-hmm. if it's so archaic and useless, why, would why? Well, why do we have to change so much shit if we're yeah. abolishing it? Yeah. Why is there so much of the mechanisms of the British state mm-hmm. involved in maintaining what the archaic, like the archaic people's argument would be that that's all we need to do? It's it's a cultural thing. We just need to sweep it away. Yeah. There's a load of other stuff like the Exile Rebellion we were talking about a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. There's so much other stuff you would have to change. In order to abolish the monarchy, well, if you were to abolish the monarchy, yeah, you know, um, yeah, arguing that old things are bad and should be replaced kind of obscures the fact that we have this archaic democracy, archaic legal system, archaic national culture, blah blah blah, blah. Um, and I think it's quite easy if you don't take these things into account for monarchists to just be able to hand wave that stuff because reactionaries always use one element of those things to point to and say point to and say to people this will affect you this yeah. will be count run counter to your interests yeah you know that's always the that's the way it goes with the current labor like reform slate yeah that they're always able to to point to something yeah you know it's like there's a there's a line in sartre i can't remember the exact line but it's um atheists should be constantly embarrassed because if God doesn't exist, we have no excuses for our actions, whereas a lot of atheists act like they just say God doesn't exist and they just say God doesn't exist and act as if he still does because they don't feel the need to adjust any other elements of their behaviour accordingly. Yeah. And it's kind of the same with that with that line of argument. If we If we remove... The monarchy, if you remove the god figure, what excuse do you have for not removing other privileges that are, are, are rampant in yeah. British society? You know? Um, and I mean, as we were talking about with this like symbolic ritual function, I know mm. it doesn't appear like that has a lot of power. And obviously you can point to the material forces that prop up the royal family as they have certain interests that are important it's important for them to put a hierarchical, stratified, but unifying force at the top of our cultural discourse, our Mm. national culture, to maintain the other hierarchies and stratifications that go on further down. Yeah. Right? Um, So, I mean, like a good... I think, like, a better way of putting it would be, like, 
Hilary Mantel wrote this article about how the royals were like pandas. Mm-hmm. They're expensive to maintain, but aren't they pretty? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you take that that like panda analogy, but pandas don't like to have sex, and the royals do a lot. <laughs> it's really a, it's really a problem if they don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, take that panda analogy, right? Mm-hmm. Panda conservation became a bigger deal in the eighties and nineties because not only was it yeah, okay, kind of a way of assuaging environmental guilt, a kind of symbolic, low-stakes way of pretending that you cared about the environment as a whole. Yeah. Um, it was also because China opened up its economy and mm. they could use uh, pandas as a diplomatic gift. Like yeah. when uh, Nixon went to meet Mao, mm. he brought back a couple of panda cubs to put in, I think it was San Diego Zoo. Yeah. Um, so in that way, those pandas had a role as ceremonial objects celebrating not only like a pact with the environment for whatever that was worth, but a kind of sign that the global economy was about to reconfigure. Yeah. Um, And the question about the monarchy is not what it's, I think it is a similar question about the monarchy, bringing it back to that analogy, because not only do the Royals have actual power, but that symbolic power, that power to stratify, to symbolize what like, the British, like, Britain is about, mm-hmm. I think that has to be, like, the main the main thing. Not that it's old, just that it's, it's not that it costs a lot of money, that it's blatantly unfair. Yeah. That it's blatantly, blatantly stupid. And that involves attacking, like, the stuff that you said about the, the royal prerogative, the, the, the ritual into the constitutional power that they have. Like, Parliament, ha- the, the, the source of power in Parliament is the crown in Parliament. Yeah. If you go up before a magistrate, it's, the crown. It's yeah. a magistrate's court if there's uh, the royal seal or whatever yeah. in there. You know, all the ritual and, and decorations of the state, although they are ephemeral, they all flow from this symbolic power that says things to the country about itself. You know, um, the army and police, they're all symbolically loyal to the crown, not parliament. Yeah. That doesn't have an that maybe not have an effect day to day, but it does have an effect in practice. It sets those institutions apart from democratic decision making. It suggests that they're part of the remnant of an absolutist state. Mm. More importantly, if you look at the history of Britain as a whole, the, the the modern monarchy, its basic powers came about in like 1688 with the Glorious Revolution, which was a fudge between the rising bourgeoisie, the old aristocracy. Um, that left the royals as, as we say, this absolutist backstop. Mm. I mean, we talked about it in our like 1910 constitution um, oh, yeah. episode, where if there was a problem with the House of Lords, the Prime Minister goes to the King to resolve it. Yeah. Although he had those powers, he also had the prestige in order to, in a crisis, be the deciding vote, mm. be the deciding voice. And I mean, like... People go like people have made a with Brexit and everything. People have made a huge deal about Parliament being sovereign. Parliament isn't sovereign if the sovereign is sovereign. Yeah, is the sovereign. Yeah, you know, she's still head of like, uh, was it sixteen countries? She's still head yeah. of state. So I don't know, Canadian police rounding up indigenous people and shepherding them off their lands. It's doing it. Is doing it in her name. Um, mm-hmm. The Australian immigration, but like border force. Interning people on, on Nauru are doing it with her seal and her justification. Now, you know, we're good Marxists here. We believe in material, you know, materialism as being the force of history. And yeah, that's true. But the manifestation of that is the fact that they owe allegiance to this one particular unelected, potentially absolutist 
body, mm. you know? Um, and if you look at other countries, it's not like they're moving away from one-party rule, one-person rule, yeah. extremely authoritarian mm-hmm. things. We're not, like, special. No. That's that's a, one of the biggest things about English nationalism and, and about like, having a monarchy yeah. is the fact that Britain is special to be blessed by this great family, yeah. no matter how we go into that they're great or whatever. And, like, that has effects... Mm-hmm. So attacking it, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a really a solution. Obviously, it's going to be the mistakes of the royals themselves that are probably ultimately going to doom them. Yeah, but actually, making that argument involves making all these other different arguments that appeals to act like the majority's mm. morality, not the particular morality of one family. Yeah, it's weird. It's going to be. It's a weird thing. Look, it is kind of like, it's kind of similar to Brexit. Yeah. In that. I'm not a like a big time Lexit guy. Mm. I don't think we should leave the EU really. Um I think it's kind of you know, we've got we sort you know, we're in a weird situation because of the vote and all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't I didn't vote to leave. Um if you were planning to leave Are the you EU, sure you didn't secretly vote to leave? I might have. Jeremy, Jeremy Corbyn did tell me to. He told you to. <laughs> he told me to. Um um Seamus Mill and Fred hit me. <laughs> um But like if you're gonna leave the EU mm. You do it actually kind of like how we went in, which is you spend years planning the best way to yeah. do it. Um, and, you know, it would take a lot of planning, as has been shown, that there's, it's kind of enmeshed yeah. and it's kind of fiddly. Um, in the same way that if we get rid of the monarchy, there's a lot of planning involved. There's a lot of stuff that we'd have to do. Yeah. But what's going to end up happening is William is going to do something really stupid <laughs> and then we're going to get rid of it the following week and then have to, like, find out where all the... Like, everything's going to fall down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's going to be a massive clusterfuck. And you can guarantee that the the knee-jerk reactionary rules that we put in place afterwards of how everything should be run are going to be real sketchy. Yeah. So it'd be nice to, like, have some plans. Have you ever seen that Sue? Have you ever read uh, *The Queen and I* by Sue, Sue Townsend? No. The, of she who did the uh, Adrian Mole books. No. It's um, it's really good. It starts with like the monarchy being abolished, an election being called, and the monarchy being abolished. And there's a widespread kind of hatred of the royals. It's um, very much like they're being spit on in public, and they get moved into a council house, and it turns into one of the like most like a really really moving depiction of poverty because she has to live in a council house and exist on what was then the state pension yeah um it's still the state pension but i imagine a lot worse now Mm -hmm. um and there's a whole thing about it's all from the perspective of lizzie and she has to care for philip who uh kind of goes into dementia um her mother dies um and there's a really amazing moment where she has gone out and bought like the most meager kind of like food mm-hmm. uh, rations and she takes some jam and she puts it on bread and eats it and even though it's for philip's dinner mm. she greedily has like another another yeah. slice um and it's it's i it's apropos of nothing it's just a really like it reminded me of kind of uh, my nana granddad mm-hmm. and the way that they lived they weren't very wealthy my granddad was very ill for most of his life um, and reducing the queen to that level but still retaining the respect for her as a person mm. is 
like an interesting way of, of going about it and it disabuses you of a lot of the kind of magical notions that just get so easily bandied around even though they've been replaced with celebrity mm-hmm. um not that uh, i don't know not that not that necessarily you need to view the queen as a as a as a person mm. or i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say um but it was really interesting because then the country goes down the pan mm-hmm. um and the uh the prime minister who'd abolished the monarchy um, has to start selling off all of the like artworks and all of the um, national services yeah. and everything like that. And like the country's hugely in debt to pay for his like outrageous spending plans. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, it's kind of slightly understated, just that it's more of a kind of process of general cultural cleansing. Yeah. But in the TV adaptation, it's like David Walliams and like he's clearly Corbyn. Yeah. Um, and he's just like tax and spin, tax and spin. Yeah. And it just—I don't know. I don't know why I thought of it, but it just—it does illustrate that it, it, it's not just the royals. I don't think it's—I—I I think it's a big problem. It's obviously the top of British society, mm. but everything else has to come kind of with it. With it. Yeah. You know, otherwise, what's the what's the point? Yeah. Although. I do have an idea in the meantime okay. before we get rid of them properly. We get rid of this family because I don't like them mm-hmm. and we replace it with something much better. Someone that we can all get around and we can all support. They still have the same power as the Queen has now. Mm-hmm. They have all the houses, all the fancy stuff. Whoever is the current British heavyweight <laughs> wrestling champion. <laughs> right. So at the moment it'd be Zack Sabre Jr. would be. Oh, very good. And It wouldn't be like present, just champion. Yep. You know, they get to do all the meet and greets and Donald Trump gets up his thing. There's Zach wearing his jacket, in his pants, belt, shakes hands, all that kind of stuff. Be perfect. You get to foster ties with other countries. You know, we would have had Minoru Suzuki as our, as our king for a while. <laughs> that would have been awesome. But also you get to like rally the nation behind a good heel run as king <laughs> before everyone like gets behind the new successor, beating them finally at like Jubilee Mania. Yeah, but also remember what happened to the last heel king. James II. Yeah, there is. He had to flee to France. It was so bad. Yeah, and then comes back with a heel faction. The crowd hated him. <laughs> the Irish. Yeah, there is. But yeah. Hugh, um, have you just invented idiocracy? No, it's Because in that, that. The, 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 the president is a wrestler. Yeah, he is a wrestler. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just saying it's a, it's a better system. It's fairer. It is fairer. I'd like it more. King determined by ritual combat. Yeah. That's fixed. <laughs> Okay, that's us for this week. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us at WDT80W underscore podcast, follow me at BM Bergamo, and follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing, and we will see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I love my country,